The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here he is, Brandon. Welcome back to the Brandon Peters Show as we dive into the second installment of our Farewell DCEU series, which I guess is an official naming of it, but we're calling it that. We'll be discussing the theatrical release of Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. That is the title. I like that title. And I'm sticking to that title, even if it was altered uh, or chopped. Uh, joining me again for this series, formerly of The Wrap, now of Puck, Scott Mendelson. Hi, it's great to be here. Hello. And I'm really excited for this one. Returning to the show for the first time in three years, the Tomato Meter Proof Critic, writer of Uterus Horror, Uncertified Forgotten, and co-author of Queen Horror, A Film Guide, the blogging banshee herself, Molly Henry. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. Welcome. It has been a while, but it's not like we haven't tried. So people wondering, but it just, it's now worked out. So I'm very happy to have you back. And I really, I was like, I felt that you would bring an uh, interesting angle to these. I wanted, I wanted you here because you're like, I don't know if I, but I'm like, yes, you're exactly what I want. So welcome. Before we get started though, Molly, your thoughts, I want your thoughts basically on the overall like DC comics, its characters, and then your sort of overall thoughts on this this particular run of movies uh, as a whole yeah i mean i i mostly grew up in the 90s so obviously i was very invested with like batman the animated series and then eventually on to the batman beyond cartoon and things like that and of course just all of the amazing batman movies so most of my dc knowledge is batman based <laughs> which i feel like most casual DC fans, that's probably true for them as well. But then I also enjoyed, um, if anyone even remembers this, the Birds of Prey TV show that lasted, I think, for one season. Uh, I was very into that show when it was on. Um, You're the also one. Because, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's because I have a, a very longstanding crush on Dinah Meyer. So, you okay. know, it's, and she's amazing in that show. <laughs> so there was at least fair, one redeeming quality. I have a very lifelong crush on Mia Sarah. So that worked too. Yes. <laughs> oh, she's, and she's amazing in that. Yes. And, and then I, I think the only actual DC comic that I've read is Watchmen, oddly enough. <laughs> so, and it's, I, I've always enjoyed superhero stuff um even though it's mostly been in film and shows and things like that i will say as a whole this dceu has not really been for me (laughs) like um there are some shining moments i think but i just for me the the characters that we typically get from dc that get these big movies are just not that interesting to me um and I don't know if that's because of the way that they've been done in film and television. They just don't have a lot of depth to them, with the exception, of obviously, Batman, because which is why we have so much Batman. <laughs> um, but like Superman tends to, as a character tends to bore me to tears. Um, Wonder Woman, 
a little bit better, but still kind of boring to me. <laughs> uh, so it's these these films just I, I can see what they were trying to do, but as a whole, it's just I I'm not super sad that it's this era is coming to an end. Um, to be fair, are, like, it's had a long time and a lot <laughs> yes. of movies, so. <laughs> It's fair enough. It's like a television show that ran for eight years and gets canceled and people like gone too soon. It's like they gave it eight years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they really tried and I appreciate the effort. And like I said, there are definitely some really good moments in there. Um, but I think I think it's definitely time for for the end to come. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a fair assessment. Um, and, you know, receipts show that as well with the box office. And and I always say you bring up something interesting that I think is true, that people are always, no matter what, they're going to show up for Batman and they're going to show up for Spider-Man. Those are two yeah. people, two that they're always going to show up for. Um, maybe maybe Wolverine or maybe just Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. But uh, Yeah. So th- those are maybe the, the, th- the three surefire... Uh, things in superhero movies that we can they can count on so uh we will pick up where we left off we left off on a high for scott and i last week things were looking good we went through a terrible movie we we were like we 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 found good things to say about man of steel batman v superman uh we didn't like suicide squad but we liked wonder woman so we were like wonder woman's kicking ass they've got their it's coming together it's coming together for surely everything will be fine now right for Justice League 2017. What's on your weird mind? I'm putting together a team. I'm in. You are? That was beautiful. These things are going to keep coming. You get technical. I'm on bug duty. Let's do it. Ride ain't over yet. <laughs> My man. Justice League, rated PG-13. Directed, accredited directing to <laughs> Zack Snyder. Though I think we all know Joss Whedon came in and did plenty. And having So Molly, I will say, um, behind the scenes here, we had to push back the original recording of this, which I'm now kind of grateful for because I had to experience both Justice Leagues for the episodes I'm recording in close proximity so I could really see the differences in these so (laughs) it's much more interesting uh now uh to see and have a good thoughts on that so i want to note we will be covering the four hours Zack snyder's justice league this is going to focus on what is there theatrically in 2017 though now having these both available yeah it's going to be hard not to compare but we will do our best to try to focus on what's here uh which was written by chris terrio Joss and Joss Whedon, I'm sure not together, uh, on a story by Terrio and Snyder starring Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Ray Fisher, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, J.K. Simmons, Siren Hines, Amber Heard, Joe Morton, with Joe Maginello, and Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Uh, fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfless act, Bruce Wayne enlists the help of his now or his newfound ally, Diana Prince, to face an even greater enemy. Uh, named after the band Steppenwolf. He's trying to bring <laughs> Rock back. Um, so this is where this is this is the first port of contention uh, with this movie. Is Snyder's in the middle of it? 
because they were like, okay, we're gonna boom, boom, boom these. We're gonna we're gonna do Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, uh, Justice League. We're gonna, well, these are just all gonna part be one. part one. Justice League Part One. That's correct. Uh, he's in the <laughs> middle of shooting this, and I can't remember. This is his, his daughter takes her own life. Yes, and and then they fire him. Um. Okay. Or be as terrible Scott. as possible to both parties here. There you From go. What I've gathered, they were not happy with the what he was doing. There, you know, either they were going to come to some kind of brokered peace, or he was going to be cut loose at some point. His daughter passes away. He tries to press on anyway. And according to him, and this is fair, decides between his, you know, the idea that, you know, throwing himself into work was not helping, especially with the conflicts and the micromanaging that was going on on set. So those two things combined, he steps away. Now, whether he was fired and they use that as a, and I mean this with all respect, we're all adults here, a face-saving excuse, I do, or whether you know he really would have otherwise stayed on and they would have found some way to work together, I don't know. But he did step down, I think, May 2017, give or take. I th- Yeah, it was right after Comic-Con, or right after CinemaCon, maybe April, May. And yeah, Joss Whedon, who had already been uh, brought on to sort of do some rewriting for the already existing reshoots, and was unofficially officially tasked with doing a Batgirl movie, which of course never came to be. At least not that version. <laughs> um, Who was allowed to save face leaving Marvel, which sounded like he was just, I'm done. But behind yeah, the scenes, I believe uh, he was told to. Well, it, it's, it's, I think, I think they would have had him back if he had wanted to come back just because, you know, yeah, they kind of, you know, Age of Ultron was not a super pleasant production, but I think they were aware of how much value he brought both to the Avengers films and to his role sort of overseeing and or, you know, sort of being a consultant on pretty much the entirety of Phase 2. So, yeah, I think, you know, in, in all things being equal, if he had wanted to come back, they would have said, OK, go off for two years, do something else and then come back for a third one. But that was never in the cards. So anyway, Joss Whedon comes in, he directs the movie and. What you know, I without getting to the discourse, I don't like when people call this the Joss Whedon version of Justice League. Because let's be honest, this is the studio version of Justice League. This is what the Warner Brothers executives wanted and thought would be the most financially viable Fair. in terms of a Justice League theatrical cut. And I think one of the reasons that the shoot was as allegedly contentious as it was for all parties is I don't think anybody wanted to be there. No, it, it's it soured not Affleck. Not Affleck. Fisher. Affleck was Affleck yeah. was there to be there, and then as we mentioned, his movie Live by Night didn't yeah. do well, and then he has to go through these painstaking reshoots and seeing who I'm guessing Snyder is a good friend of Affleck. People like working with Snyder; they continue yeah. to return stuff like that. And I imagine he didn't like seeing what was going on there, as did Momoa, like all of them. So, and Ray Fisher was mistreated tremendously through this process mm-hmm. as well so um, but so yeah so, so he departs Whedon comes in and right up to the release and slightly after everybody keeps up the company line that this is you know uh Zack Snyder's film in spirit that everybody was fine working with Whedon he was just coming in to paper over some holes etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Um, and it's funny because when you we first watched the theatrical cut, there's stuff that we were all sure was Snyder that was actually ended up being Wheaton stuff. Yeah, like the opening credits montage, which is actually very grim and cynical and pessimistic. Like, oh, that's you know, that's clearly a, a, a Snyder thing, and turned out, nope, that was that was Wheaton. And one thing that I, and again, in retrospect, it doesn't matter, but you know. It's, Snyder got some flack for some allegedly salacious material that turned out to be Whedon's. You know, there was some pre-release, you know, again, non-troversy, I like to call them about, oh, the the Amazon characters are such skimpier clothing compared to what they were in Wonder Woman. And, you know, having seen the film before, slightly before it came out, like, in the movie, they all look exactly the same. I've seen Wonder Woman. I saw it twice. I've, you know, by opening weekend, I had seen Justice League twice. They look the same. And before I get way off subject here, as far as how'd the movie turn out? In a world where comic book superhero movies, specifically Marvel DC, were not at the center of the pop culture monoculture, it was fine. It's a fun, enjoyable, colorful, 110-minute superhero adventure comedy romp where you've got a lot of good actors that are sort of you know, mingling together. And if the first Avengers film was about people who don't quite mesh together, coming together as a, you know, work family, then Justice League was basically about people who are depressed and and mourning and in grief from their failures coming together as a surrogate family. I think the, the third act is mediocre and disappointing and underwhelming. And I think, you know, without skipping ahead, I think that's the biggest improvement in the Snyder version is that the third act is a banger. Um, I think if this film had had a third act on par with, say, the you know the Snyder cut of Justice League or you know Aquaman for that matter, I think it would have been a lot better received, even without you know even accounting for all the discourse. Is it a great movie? No, but again, in a world where these films are just one kind of tentpole blockbuster franchise, whatever, it's a good time. Right. And I certainly think the standard version is better, but I don't think this film is a war crime. I never have. Molly, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think that it is necessarily a terrible film by any means. I think that it mostly suffers from two things for me, <laughs> two big <laughs> issues. One is just that, and this honestly, depending on who you talk to, this might be the cardinal sin that a film can do is that I just kind of thought that it was boring. And because if a bad movie is bad, at least sometimes you can have fun watching the badness. And for me, I just I didn't feel invested with what was happening. It's it had the same kind the whole climax had the same thing that almost every superhero movie does where there's some world ending thing and there's a beam of light that goes into the sky and <laughs> all the, and it's and it's like kind of not super clear necessarily what exactly this thing does or why or anything it's just the point is that it's going to destroy the world and it, they, I mean even in uh suicide squad it's kind of the same look and and feel with the the big beam that's destroying the area and and so in with regards to that I just I I just kind of think that there wasn't enough to hold my at least my interest and in, uh, based on what <laughs> the feedback that a lot of people have said for the film probably a lot of others are in agreement and I think the other thing is that I just didn't feel invested with any of the characters I think 
to have this be the film where so many of the core cast was introduced for the first time was not the right thing to do for this big action hero come together. Cause I, obviously it's, you can't really talk about this with, without comparing it to like the first Avengers <clears throat> film where with that, even though some of those characters didn't get their own standalone film necessarily before we at least had been introduced to all of the core characters in some way, we've gotten to know them a little bit before throwing them all together for this big epic battle. And I think, think they were just kind of rushing it with the DCEU. They just they wanted to be as as big and successful of the Mar- as the Marvel franchise had been, so they wanted to do all of these things to try to catch up and it ultimately made the character development suffer quite a bit. Um and unfortunately, <laughs> I think that there was also probably a bit of miscasting. I I I think I actually might be in the minority for this one, but I think I am not a fan of Ben Affleck as Batman. <laughs> I think um, I I just don't buy him as the character. And I don't know if it's necessarily his, his performance specifically or if it's just there have been so many actors who have played that and I, I can at least get behind most of them, maybe with the exception of like George Clooney or something. Um, but I just, or maybe I just have an aversion to Ben Affleck <laughs> as an actor in general <laughs> but like i think cavill was was a, a great choice for superman i think um even though i don't necessarily like her as a person i think Godot was was a great wonder woman um but yeah it's just i think the characters is where it fell short the most for me i just did not feel invested in any of these characters i didn't necessarily enjoy the dynamics between all of them and again it's because it wasn't earned we we didn't get that development that we really needed to to care about what is happening with these characters and if they're going to succeed in saving the world <laughs> gotcha I, I speaking of character i noticed something this time around when i'm watching these movies um that takes a turn here with them they well scott and i talked about gadot like that She's great. She's great. And there's like an essence, even if she's like her, some of her line reads don't check or whatever, but there's like an essence to her that comes off that. And we said like, you know, we, we were allowed to go through Arnold in the eighties, you know, with these kind of line reads, but we're not, uh, you know, a woman does them. It's not allowed apparently. Um, but she's got this essence about her, uh, with it. Um, Affleck, I'm, you know, he's fine. Bruce Wayne, all this stuff, but like Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman at this point were all like portrayed written on paper where I think you could have interchanged them with different actors. Whereas in Justice League comes around long, they're doing what Marvel did and formulated them to the actors where I think they're, they don't have enough time. So they have to let Jason Momoa form the character. They have to let Ezra Miller form a character. Ray Fisher short end of the stick. Cause he's in this edition He's kind of just monotone, boring. All his good stuff was left on the cutting room floor, as we saw in Justice League. Mm-hmm. The stuff where you would latch on to Cyberman uh, is a lot more. Um, or wait, Cyborg. Sorry, Cyborg. I had new Doctor Who this weekend, so my mind. <laughs> um, Cyborg. So c- Cyborg, where you would latch on to him, all that stuff's on the floor, and the only trace of 
humanity and stuff you can get from him is the little Joe Morton shows up in this one where he's a big figure in the in the uh, the Snyder cut. So I feel like here's that's maybe why Momoa takes off in his movie because makes a billion dollars the following years because he was allowed to you know do his own his own thing. Uh, Ezra Miller is kind of feels like he's coming up or they're coming up with a Barry Allen um, of their own there because it's not like Grant Gustin is on television at the time, which that's the biggest challenge there is there's already a very well-liked uh, actor in the role of Barry Allen, which a lot at this time also we, we haven't mentioned, they have TV shows going on and when they want to do something in the movies, they're making them write off those characters in the TV show at the same time. Um, which is interesting because um, we'll later have two Batmans at the same time in theaters. So, but things change. Uh, I think I agree. The, the the third act is a lame duck. Like it is, they try to throw they throw in that family. Visually not interesting. We never really understood what was going on with this big dome of stuff. Um, I think uh, Steppenwolf is done a big as big a disturb almost as big a disservice as cyber uh, cyborg here, and they. There's not enough buildup to make this fear worthwhile. Like there's, it's just okay, and and you get a little bit of Wonder Woman going. Yeah, this is this is this is what this guy does. Um, I I think the Steppenwolf journey to to whatever you know his version of a glowy beam in the sky is isn't understood enough from an audience to invest in the third act as well. Um, and I- and I think that's something that the, the Snyder Cut does a lot better is that it's mm-hmm. a lot clearer what the hell is going on in the third act and what cho- you know what their big super heroic plan is to save the day. Yeah, and this, um, one, this one is a lot more. I called it ragingly colorful, especially compared yes. to uh, the the former films. It's got a zippity doodah attitude to it where it can. Um, there is the creepy Henry Cavill mustache thing that. We got a note uh, because he was filming Mission Impossible 7 and needed to keep it in case of reshoots. I think it was his, that was probably his protest of what was going on. And his performance is a bit, I think he's a bit phony in this one because they're making him overly, It they're trying to 180 him from what he's been in the previous movies a bit too much. Um, it's, in, in this version, in this version. I like his performance in the other one, but in this version, he's like, ha ha, ha, ha. And that's not him. That's not what he was bringing to Superman. This cut is very odd in that sense, in that character-wise, it tries to retcon, especially the the Holy Trinity, into versions that you're familiar with. You have, you know, a gee whiz, optimistic Superman. You have just an empowering, happy-to-be-here Wonder Woman. And you have a Batman that's frankly closer to Dick Sprang than Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, but plot wise, you know, when you watch both versions, you realize that a lot of the changes they made were scenes that more closely tied it into the plot of Wonder Woman and the plot of Batman v Superman. Right. So it's is skewed weird way. It's actually far more of a direct sequel to those films. Yeah. Um, and as far as it's in, this is obviously years before I knew what did or didn't happen with, with Ray Fisher. I think he's terrific in this film. And as far as extra screen time, I don't think he gets any less screen time than Ezra, you know, most of the other cast members. Well, no, no. I just think his best stuff is on the cutting room floor, in my opinion. Yeah. Also, I mean, and this is neither here nor there. 
most of the deleted footage from him, especially before the third act, is you know is is montage. Yeah, and a lot of it is Joe Morton monologuing. Which There's a lot of that in the Snyder most cut. Most things will be good <laughs> if you add Joe Morton monologuing. Right. Um, and I, I actually, in some ways, I like, I like the idea in this film that he doesn't see himself as this Quasimodo Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. That he mm-hmm. he knows right away that he's not the monster. His dad might be, but he's not. And I thought that was a very interesting choice. That I was kind of shocked to see that not in the Snyder cut. And I like that Joe Morton lives at the end of this film. I like the idea that at the end, you know, they are going to have a better relationship with each other, you know, as father and son. And that, you know, alongside seemingly the better relationship that that Barry Allen's going to have with his incarcerated father. Which they would probably share that uh, in the Flash Cyborg movie that never happened. Exactly. (laughs) I I, you know, it's 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 you can see, you know, I I don't know that every change in this theatrical cut from the Snyder cut was necessarily at the last minute. I mean, you know, it's, 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 I don't think there were, there may never have been a theatrical version of this film where you had, uh, what's her name? Uh, Clemens in a wordless cameo flying through the air with hot dogs brushing against her face. Yeah. Um, Such a waste of Kiersey Clemens. <laughs> yes, it is. She's very good in the Monarch show, by the way. Yes. I um, love her. But so it's, 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 but yes, in, 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 a, in a, in a perfect world where Batman v Superman had been well-received and frankly, Zack Snyder had not suffered his family tragedy. I do think there would have been a three hour version of this film that would have worked, that would have had all the stuff that was good about the Snyder cut with less of the fact. Mm-hmm. No, no. Um, that, that, his thing that if it would have yeah. hit theaters, it would never have been four hours. He no, knows no, no. that. But if he was going to get to go on st- streaming service, it could play like a little yeah, mini exactly. series. Yeah. And I think as far as them not doing the work and doing the setup, I think, you know, especially the four hour version, the first hour and 50 minutes of that is the setup. Yeah. You know, well, no, it, the, it jumps. characters are. And then the second act is the second movie is, OK, here's the Justice League movie. Yeah. 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 Very true. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of like just I, the the new Hunger Games is almost like a double feature in one movie. Yes. Um, it's a lot, um, of, a lot of movie. But I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that movie. I, I Quite a bit. Yes. There. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then there's Elfman's score here, which is pretty desperate. Um, it, yes. It reuses the Williams theme and his own Batman theme. And it, it just it feels a little bit like they're trying to pull at some sort of whatever strings they can. And then they throw on this like this. Can we hurry up and get a come together modern cover so we can put it on trailers and stuff and play it in the credits? <laughs> like, um. I will admit I enjoyed the final trailer that was set to a cover of We Can Be Heroes. It was oddly schmaltzy and sentimental in a way that I appreciated. Gotcha. Um, and if anything, I think it sort of mimics the sincerity that often contrasts Snyder's work versus Whedon's work. Whedon, obviously, you know, he loves melodrama as much as everybody else does, but there's obviously a certain sarcasm and a certain, you know, commenting on the peril and their missed yada yada as a coping mm-hmm. mechanism type thing and i can imagine going from working for somebody like snyder who i think has a unfairly has a reputation for being humorless when he's just very sincere that he will not make fun of the story that he's telling yeah versus someone like whedon who is sarcastic you know one of his defining attributes is sarcasm well i think i think whedon in his writing has a has a has a way with it that's yeah that works. It works. It's very good. But since his exit from Marvel, 
they try to copy that and it all comes across as oh this is stupid isn't it with yeah. everything they do there's always that ha 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 just to make the audience feel comfortable about being at a suits and, and tights movie with glowy with, things you know, everybody complains about you know superhero humor having taken over hollywood yada 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 that's what it used to be i mean Yes, Josh, I'm not even talking about the stuff that Joss Whedon did for X-Men, but a lot of the jokes in the first X-Men movie were basically mm-hmm. there as sort of safety valves for people that weren't otherwise taking this stuff seriously at face value. It was like, don't worry, we know this stuff is ridiculous. But yeah, I, I don't think it's either of their best work, respectively speaking, and I think that's one of the reasons why the film doesn't quite work, even though, again, as a as a movie to watch for two hours, I think it's entertaining. I was not bored, but if you were, then there's really no defense against that. I mean, just Let's like, just say know, it. It. I mean, you know, it, it still somehow managed yeah. like seven hundred and what sixteen yeah. million dollars. Scott, how was the box the office? Six, on it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, six fifty, six fifty nine. Okay, was not great. I mean, no, basically less than Man of Steel, which is shocking if you think about it, since yeah. it was the reaction to Man of Steel that had them, you know, doubling over to try to retrofit this whole thing. And as far as rushing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been in mixed minds about that because on one hand, yeah, the idea that, OK, we're going straight from Superman to Batman to Justice League. On the other hand, you know, it was still four years, bet- you know, four and a half years between Man of Steel and Justice and Justice League. And, you know, Iron Man to Avengers was four years right there. And mm-hmm. it was still about, you know, uh, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Hulk. Captain America, Thor. So six movies there and then five movies for the DCU. And hell, half the time they don't count the incredible Hulk anyway. Well, they didn't um, have they didn't have a offshoot yeah. suicide squad story yeah. in the middle. Like that's maybe where a, yeah. another hero movie could have gone. Yeah, yeah, but. you're absolutely right. Um and it's just you know, I I I wonder to what extent, you know, I don't know if they were rushing. I just I think they bet on the wrong filmmaker. Well, and they, they you know, bet- my feeling, and I was writing this in April 2016, was like, okay, the movie's out. You either fire him now or you let him move, make the movie he wants to make. Yeah. True. But unfortunately, yeah. they tried to have it both ways. Yeah, I think that all of the studio interference and it definitely hurt both versions of this film. And it makes me wonder how... Like, Obviously, this isn't something I would want to see at this point, but it does make me wonder if either of those filmmakers had just been kind of given a bit more free reign, how different the not only would the film itself be, but how different would this entire franchise ultimately be? Because this was supposed to be the big turning point. This was supposed to be this huge pivotal moment in this franchise. And it, for me, at least, it kind of felt like the beginning of the end. Yes, in fact, you know, the theatrical cut, what I find is fascinating about it is that it feels like a series finale. It does. Well, well, it also felt like when this movie came out, it's supposed to be the Justice League. It's supposed to be the biggest event. And it at this point, I remember it, the vibe feeling like, we just need to get through this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, then, and then we're going to go into some stuff. Because Wonder Woman was a major, major, major success for them. That's where they were like, oh, cool. But now we got Justice League right after, and we just need to cross or, like get through this and then next year we'll have Aquaman like that is like the vibe that this movie had going into it yeah because I mean I think we were all I, mean, I, I don't think anyone expected Aquaman to do a billion dollars but there was still the assumption that you had James mm-hmm. Wan who made a pretty damn good Fast and Furious movie under equally impossible circumstances and 
I think, you know, we all knew that, you know, the running joke I used to make was, and this was after Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad came out, was that, okay, you know, you know, jo- you know uh, James Wan has a clause in his contract and he sees any Warner Brothers executive in the editing room. He walks over to Bloom House and gives them, starts doing horror franchises for them. And, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, two regime changes later. Yeah. Does anybody have anything more to say about uh, Justice League? Just again, I mean, in a vacuum, it's fine. Now, you can certainly argue that a Justice movie, League movie should be a lot better than fine. I mean, I remember that year. I mean, the only thing crazier to me than a Justice League movie coming out and being meh and more or less bombing was that there was a Power Rangers movie that came out the same year that I actually liked more. Hmm. <laughs> I actually agree with yeah. you on that one. <laughs> and I didn't grow up liking Power Rangers. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. I was not a fan of that. I was just old enough to think this is stupid when I was still 13 or whatever. I will say one more thing, just because I'm like talking about these movies. You're probably old enough to remember this. I don't know if Molly is. I have no idea if she is. is. It's not my business. But I love the fact that in the 90s, the Danny Elfman music was represented the Tim Burton movies, which at the time were, you know, adult and dark and not just for kids. And, you know, with Batman Returns, it was very controversial. Oh, my God, you can't bring your kids to this. The world is traumatized, yada, yada, yada. Yet, you know, 25 years later, they bring back that music to signify that this Justice League movie is okay for young kids. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem a bit counterintuitive. (laughs) Yeah. like it's. I always make the joke that, you know, today's Marilyn Manson's, tomorrow's Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So we got Scott with five stars, Mia mixed, and Molly mixed negative. There you go. Five out of five, that is, Scott. Of course, of course. Five stars. Five stars. All right. So we will head on over to my man, Aquaman, from 2018. Speaking of five stars. Yes. Atlantis has always had a king. Now it needs something more. A hero. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. Your brother is about to declare war. We must stop him. Sounds like fun. Let's do it. I'm nobody. But I came to save my home and the people that I love. Miss Kersey. Aquaman. Rated PG-13. Experience it in IMAX December 21st. <laughs> Directed by James Wan. Written by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. That is a long name. Uh, Will Beal on a story by Juan Bill and Jeff Johns. Starring Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, Nicole Kidman, Dolph Lundgren. Is it Yahya Abdul-Mateen II? Yes. Okay, Tamira Morrison. I'll let you say that. Tamira Morrison, Michael Beach. Oh, it's be- When I did a Godzilla thing back on my old show years ago, I'm sure I'm on like dartboards all over Japan for mer- <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the, my my awful pronunciation. Like I would look them up and just still do bad, and I apologize for that. Like I'm... I'm awful. Tamura Morrison, Michael Beach, Randall Park, featuring the voices of John Reese davies Jamon Hansu, and Julie Andrews as Carathon. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Curry, the human-born heir to the underwater kingdom of Atlantis, goes on a quest to prevent a war between the worlds of ocean and land. All right, Molly, you can kick us off for my man, Aquaman. Well, obviously, since I am more of a horror person, I am already slightly biased with this one because of James Wan. <laughs> let's let's just get that out of mm-hmm. the way right there. I actually, this one was, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, 
Jason Momoa, I think he seemed like less so in Justice League, but more so in this one. It seemed like he had fun with the role, which I think goes a long way for the film. I obviously I am a big Willem Dafoe fan as well. And he is amazing in everything he does, including this. Patrick Wilson is I like that we kind of get to see him in more of a villain role. I, I think that he does villain very, very well. And he doesn't get the opportunity to do that enough. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I think of this, I think of Hard Candy. Um, I'm sure there are other roles, but those are the, like the only two ones that immediately spring to mind. We think of him in a villain role. Um, and just like this had such a stacked cast and where I felt that Justice League visually didn't have a lot going on to to really draw me in. This one, obviously, Aquaman had a lot of really great, interesting visuals. I thought the creature design for everything that was happening like in the trench was fantastic. Um, my one huge criticism for this is when you look at Mira in Justice League and then you look <laughs> at her in this movie. And she's what? happens like she had this awesome like obviously no matter what it's a superhero movie she's going to be in a cat suit type outfit but she had like a cool outfit in that one that had like a little bit of armor stuff going on her hair looks like a more natural red color and then you come into this and she's basically wearing a sequin bodysuit and an aerial wig what happened i, I no don't understand to was it a, maybe it was a comfort thing maybe she if she was going to be doing a lot more she preferred that and wasn't she British in one of them? Yes, in the in, Snyder film she's British. Oh, in the Snyder film she's British. Oh, okay, right. I was okay, going to say sorry. I don't remember that. Sorry, yeah, in the Snyder <laughs> film she's British. Um but yeah, maybe it was comfort. She's got know. the one division thing where it's like what the fuck is her what's what what was her what's her accent again? Storm happened. Yeah, it happens yes. from movie to movie. But anyway, continue, Molly, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I just I think that this this story I felt way more invested in what was happening and it just I feel like with anything James Wan does, even when he's doing something that is like very much a studio film, he still finds ways to incorporate his personality into it. And this very much feels like a DC superhero movie while also feeling like his his personality and his DNA is on every part of it, which I appreciate. And I don't know if that's because the studio gave him a little bit more freedom with it or and trusted him more because he had helmed so many great franchises already, or if it was just because this character and it's, and the background and the comics allowed for more fun. Um, so I, I just, this is one that I definitely had a blast with. And it's, I, even if though it's like maybe a little bit goofier than some of the other DCEU films, I think it is, one of the more entertaining ones to watch for sure. Yeah. Scott. Uh, it's no secret. I love this movie. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's my youngest son's favorite movie and he's not wrong. The Visually, this is a spectacularly colorful and you know, gloriously cinematic movie. Uh, it looked great in IMAX and it, frankly, it looks great on Blu-ray because which is actually, it keeps the IMAX format. Jason Momoa, I always mispronounce his name. Jason Momoa. Momoa is terrific in this picture. And what the film does that's very smart is that it makes him an underdog, which is not easy to do when you look like that. <laughs> and aside from the opening scene where it's like you can take a missile and sort of brush it off, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. But 
for me, the scene where, where it cinches his character is right after that, when he's in the bar with his dad and these random toughs come up to him. You think, oh, have this stupid bar fight. You're going to show him how tough he is, blah, blah, blah. And of course, what happens is they end up, you know, wanting selfies and they all get drunk together. One of the guys, by the way, has a big cell phone. <laughs> um, so it it entirely flips the script of convention in terms of what kind of guy he's going to be. And, you know, he does, he's not going to be the guy that has to always prove himself how tough he is and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, his performance, you know, the character, and he basically says this toward the end, is like he doesn't believe he is worthy. He, he is terrified of failure. And he does not believe he is good enough to, you know, to the extent that he's, you know, but even so, he is pretty quick to sort of, you know, take up the sword and embark on the jury to answer the call, if you will. Even though he's scared shitless and doesn't think it's a good idea, he does it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And that is an interesting dynamic. I think him and, and Herd are fun together. I think without getting into the off-screen discourse around Amber Heard, I think she's one of those actresses that has basically been best known for being ridiculously attractive. I think she's very good in the first act of the Danish girl. But other than that, she hasn't had that many opportunities to actually act. Um, but I think she's very fun in this picture. She gets the best kill in the movie, by the way. The thing with the wine bottles and the glass, mm. which is just really cool. Um, and the film is just stuffed to the gills with movie. There's like three dozen locations. There's like six subplots. There's a half a dozen major supporting characters. And even though it's only two hours and 20 minutes, it all makes sense. It's coherent. It flows. And it's kind of a miracle of storytelling economy. And then right at the end, you get a third act, which frankly just delivers the fucking thunder in a way that we didn't get in Justice League. And frankly, we didn't get in Green Lantern several years earlier. I mean, this is an example of a film that promises a larger-than-life, balls-out, bonkers-bananas fantasy climax and actually delivers, which is um, just one reason why I think it was successful as it was. Because mm -hmm. even if you didn't care about DC Comics, even if you didn't care about Aquaman, this was a, you know, it was a year-end fantasy picture that was always tend to do well. They basically delivered on the scale of a Lord of the Rings picture. Yeah. At least in the third act. And if I'm more optimistic in the box office fortunes of the sequel than most people are, maybe I'm just an op, you know, an optimistic idiot, but it's because those variables are still in place. It's still going to be, I presume, a larger than life over the top underwater action spectacular. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, I used to, you know, I, when it first came out, I called it Oops All Berries the movie. And, of an acquaintance of mine online called it Costco, the movie, which I kind of like, which is that <laughs> it's got everything in bulk. And yes, as far as James Wan goes, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost subtle how he makes this a personal project in terms of the, you know, the personal struggles of a, you know, of a mixed race person that doesn't feel really at home in, in, you know, either world, so to speak. And without making a equal quality argument because there's only one Steven Spielberg. Juan is one of those guys that just is really good at making this level of blockbuster and, you know, obviously more personal horror films of varying size and scale on the regular. And I think that's, you know, I don't think there are that many people out there left that can do that other than, you know, maybe something like Chris Nolan for obvious reasons. Well, I think so. he, I mean, you know, 
as big as successes as he's had, I still think he's overlooked. It's crazy. Yes. Oh, for sure. The, the guy is a is. name brand. He's delivered billion dollar movies, franchise pictures, small pit. But I still feel he is overlooked. It's wild. He's the only filmmaker to have delivered $2 billion movies in two different franchises mm-hmm. other than James Cameron. And he's the only filmmaker to deliver $2 billion pictures for two different studios. And Disney technically hit- Titanic and Avatar were both distributed by Fox overseas. Isn't he mm-hmm. the only director to have two films open to, f- was it 40 plus million dollars in the same calendar year? Well, the year that Insidious 2 yeah, and, yeah, the con- and the Conjur- yes, Conjuring yes. came out. Oh, like, yeah. That yeah. might be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will take your word on that. I think he was like, <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know, and I, I wrote about this in, you know, 2019, right before the Tenet trailer came out, the teaser came out. Like, I was kind of hoping that in 2020, what we were going to see after all these franchises came to an end, and this was back when Wonder Woman 2 was still supposed to come out in 2019 and Silent Edge always come out in 2019, No Time to Die is going to finish up Bond in 2019, et cetera, et cetera, that we're going to start to see if instead of having the movie stars, the actor, actress, we're going to have directors as the new movie stars. And we saw a little of that with Rian Johnson, obviously Chris Nolan, but you know, I, I will always wonder, you know, in a non-COVID world, would Malignant have been a big hit Simply by saying it's a new original film horror film from James Wan. I think we're the guy get- that reinvented this franchise twice. I think they're trying to to turn it that way now after yeah. Oppenheimer and Barbie being yeah the director's names flashing out and Jordan Peele's name's been flashed yes. out a lot yeah. too. Yeah, but he is a him and Nolan or or even today butts and seats smart key filmmakers. I've, I've been noticing trailers starting to promote directors again. Like I've been noticing from the mind of from the yeah. you know director so and so and putting their name up there, which seemed to disappear from trailers for a while. Yeah, but, and I I, yeah. I was hoping that would be the case with John M. Chu within mm-hmm. the Heights. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, he might not be an, an everyday name that everybody knows, but he has a long filmography of films that people like. And when you say from the guy that directed Crazy Rich Asians and Step Up Three, there is a contingency of going, oh, that is interesting to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I um, tell like people all the time, like there's for a long time, like I, I had, you know, the normie people, not Chris, who's going to be <laughs> on the show next week from a group called the normies, but um, civilians like, why would I, why would I want to, I don't have any answers. I'm like, well, did you like this movie? Well, yeah, I love that. I'm like the same person who made that made that yeah. like, oh, cause they're not throwing up from the director of such and such anymore, which spawns interest. So I, I've talked about my, my, uh, you know, my film geekiness or whatever being so fine tuned to creators more so nowadays than a franchise. Like I'm more interested in the next picture from so-and-so. And so that's my franchise, I guess. If, well, and that's, if you pick you know, them, I wonder but... is, you know, one reason I loved Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings as much as I did is it felt very much a high quality, you know, Destin Daniel Clinton picture. It felt very much both within the Marvel formula and a film from the guy that made the glass castle in short term 12 and just mercy. Mm-hmm. Like I say with the Marvel yeah. movies, I'm sorry. All, like like I say with the Marvel movies, and yeah. and like Aaron Newer says too, they all get to play with the same tools. They all yeah. get to play with the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. Some, and, some just know, do it better. Like that's, you know, the question is if Ryan Googler ever gets to make a non-franchise film again, will he be a marquee director? Yeah. Will people show up to wrong answer? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I sh- I showed up to Aquaman. I also like Aquaman. I love that this movie got made as if they might not ever get to make another Aquaman again. <laughs> they they like, made all they, the Aquaman. They, yep. Yeah, 
<laughs> they, yeah, they're like, well, we got Ocean Master, but Ocean Master has to work with Black Manta, and then we have to go to the trench at one point, and they have to have that, like, and it works. And I, I will say that the, the joy of this movie is after Justice League, and I, I talked about this on the last episode, where I feel like, and I, the action, if, if DC has anything over Marvel, the action, direction, second unit, whatever, I think is is better than the Marvel one, photography-wise, editing, and it's back here, and it's James Wan stuff that feels like James Wan, because like that Italy, Black Manta, rooftop, chase attack thing is one of my favorite action sequences in a superhero movie where they're running on the rooftops. Yeah. And you got like a single shot going on through in the house and stuff, but it's awesome. And you mentioned uh, Mara with the wine stabbing. Good stuff. But this movie also has the trench scene, which is gorgeous and spooky and <laughs> awesome. Like it's like every, in this movie is I, I won't say it feels short, but you're enjoying every bit of length to it to where you're like, when do we get off this ride? I don't know if I want to get off this <laughs> ride yet. It's like, it's it uses its colors to its own characteristic, if that makes sense. Like, it, it, feel, it doesn't feel like they're just coloring things more like the last movie. It's got a distinct vision for it. Uh, and I liked about, you mentioned Patrick Wilson's villain. It's good here. I like that him and Abdul Mateen, they're doing some classic superhero villain performances that I like that gets lost in a lot of these, like, personality things where like, I want to understand the villain and you know I want to I want to know that if I were a villain people would you know like I don't I don't need that all the time but I like when you can have your like guy ha 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 and delivering <laughs> stuff like Patrick Wilson and yes this movie is silly but that's the joy of it and it earns every bit of silliness because it is giving you some intense action some batshit crazy action uh, talking crap like and it's all feels natural it all feels right there they jump out of a plane and just land in desert from high up in the air and i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> makes perfect sense yeah or- it's got a bit of a it's got a bit of a uh romancing the stone vibe to it for a bit that's like probably my favorite section is when they leave the sea and go on this like uh treasure hunt search uh for the the triton um uh thing and it just i don't know like i buy like this is just a lot and i'm enjoying a lot it's eye candy it's you know, some endearing character stuff. It's some good acting performance, some visual effects that are wonderful to look at. Like the undersea stuff's just, wow, very, very cool. And they get this big battle. You get Dolph Lundgren with like hair swooping around. Uh, like, yeah, and this is a meaty role for Amber Heard, which you mentioned Scott, she doesn't get those, but she landed us with All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, which everybody was taken with her from that. And then just... I think Teresa Palmer got a lot of her parts yeah. somewhere along the line. Yeah, Cause sure. I, I can imagine them being in the same casting room. Um, but not like Teresa Palmer got banger parts either. She just got a little bit more, vi- uh, I don't know, uh, spotlight films that w- would be in there. But uh, I, yeah, this is just a, I don't know what, what more to say that you two haven't because yeah, Aquaman just is fresh. It's, it's like, Hey, Here's here's where we can be something that's not Marvel and still be enjoyable and successful and uh, do our own thing and let a director which they which they promoted with DC that we were going to let people do their own films and I have no doubt in my mind that Zack Snyder got to make Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. We know David Ayer didn't quite get to make his film. I believe Patty Jenkins probably More probably did though. I don't. 
I haven't seen enough Patty Jenkins work to go that oh that was a Patty Jenkins film. Mm-hmm. I did feel some of the action of that felt like she used Snyder's people in that movie, but it worked in it. It had its own flair to it. It didn't feel like straight up Snyder. Something stuff. and you know it was an interview and maybe she was just pulling my chain whatever. This is one reason I don't do a ton of interviews is she said basically that, you know, especially after Batman v Superman was so divisively received that it was that much easier for them to just let her do her own thing because what she wanted to do was very different than, you know, it was more traditional superhero melodrama. Um, One thing I love about Aquaman is that it's so stuffed to the gills with stuff that it finds time for two emotionally character building moments for the secondary villain. Yeah. You know, in the opening of the movie, after he machine guns a dozen innocent people, they still have this weirdly moving scene where his father gives him this sword that that you know he got during World War II or something like that, or the Vietnam War. And then later, when the movie's as busy as can be, it still stops dead in his tracks so that the black manta manta mantis, whatever his name is, can have a a doing cool science montage. <laughs> yes, yeah, he does. <laughs> it, there's no reason that needs to be there, but it, it's cool. That's why it's there. It's it's the whole movie is like that. It's like it's it's just pure pleasure. Yeah, I um, almost feel like this one feels a bit. Obviously, it's on a much grander scale because it has all of the huge effects in it. But this one feels more to me like it would fit in in the world that Tim Burton built with his. Batman movies. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And I think that's part of why it, it was so fun to me. And I think that really the two smartest things that the studio did was hiring James Wan and Jason Momoa, because obviously we've talked about all the reasons why James Wan was perfect for this and why he did so amazing. But for me, since I am not someone who read the comics, I, when I thought of Aquaman before these films, I thought of like, the short blonde haired guy in the goofy like duo colored suit, you know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. that was almost like the butt of the joke of the Justice League is, is no, the it was. No, that I was used to. Yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and by casting Jason Moe, they they cast someone that they knew people were going to come out for because he already like was so popular after Game of Thrones. People love him. But also it allowed them kind of like you, we were talking about earlier, allowed to have all these kind of different in an interesting context because it's human and Atlantean, but almost like racial issues and, and not feeling like you have a home and the way that they made his character to me almost felt like he was being positioned to essentially be this franchise's Wolverine in, in a lot of ways. Like he's kind of the anti-hero. He, he doesn't really necessarily want this role, but it's something that he he is willing to do because he knows it's the right thing to do. Um, and also just kind of like with his physicality and stuff too, I, I can picture them together in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah, I just, I think that his casting and hiring James Wan to direct were, I, I honestly, I can't imagine what this film would have been like if those two weren't involved. It, it would have been a very different yeah. film. Well, you sure. also you also get the touches of New Zealand and Australia with Nicole Kidman and Tamura Morrison as well, who are terrific mm-hmm. in these tiny parts. Right, yeah. come to class up the joint. And I will say, yeah, the Aquaman here is like he's likable in the Justice League, but it's a bunch of like okay dorks type role. Yeah, yeah. And here he's human. <laughs> like he's yeah, and that's not. that's why that for me that's that scene in the bar is so important because it says mm-hmm. okay, he's not going to be like that the whole movie. 
And what I do think was very, whether intentional or not, the film was made with the knowledge that while plenty of folks think of the super friends version of Aquaman, and that's fair. That's it's hilarious. There was an entire generation that grew up with the justice league cartoon in which he was the, you know, pardon my you know, cheap, the badass bare shirted hook handed motherfucker. That's, you know, just kick ass and take names. So for that generation, they didn't need to be convinced that Aquaman could be cool. Sorry. Hold on. I just turned off my video because they had grown up on a version where he already was cool. And this was just an approximation of that. Um, but then they they bring it all home by putting him in this conventionally comic book costume that actually works. And it just reminded me how much, even to a small extent, maybe I would have enjoyed Justice League a little bit more if he had been in that costume in that movie. So it really would have looked like the comic book come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a, I mean, with this and Black Panther and Spider-Verse and, you know, Incredibles 2 for that matter, it is little wonder why in 2018 we all thought maybe comic book superhero movies are good actually, because they they and this is you know, this was that was a year when they were absolutely dominating the box office and the ecosystem and this is why because when the other blockbusters are like the Dark Tower and King Arthur and the Legend of the Sword and the Mummy, <laughs> of course people are going to fucking flock to Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Black Panther. You know they were winning because they were better at least in terms of, you know, conventional, you know, franchise temple films. There are some exceptions, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Alita, Valerian, yada, yada, yada. But, you know. Uh, but no even, one was going the, to those. That was, yeah, nobody was a, going well, to people, those. Well, people decently went to Alita. Not enough. It but almost like, got there. Valerian, one I liked, Mortal Engines. Nobody went and saw oh, that yeah, one. That one's, I liked but, that one a um, lot, but no. <laughs> and I think the big problem was at that time you had a lot of, blockbuster competition that was trying to approximate the comic book superhero movie like the mummy mm-hmm. but comic book soup and king arthur i know i keep using those examples but yeah robin that Hood is that is and, mummy We're just a- yeah of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we would not um, speak disparagingly about the brendan fraser one no only like, the what third one are we talking about here <laughs> oh yeah that movie's like 20 years old and i still don't remember the title like is it Curse of the Tomb Dragon whatever? Curse Some, Dragon, Dragon Emperor is in that. No, Dragon Emperor is in that. The title. It's either Tomb and, or. And then curse. fifteen years later, Lucasfilm said, "What if we made an Indiana Jones film that was worse?" Oh Jesus! <laughs> anyway, um, but no, I'll stop rambling. But yeah, I love Aquaman. I think it's a spectacular action adventure picture. Hopefully, I'm hoping I'm I'm going to stay optimistic because I trust James Wan that Aquaman. I still believe in James Wan. I always believe in James Wan. There's no still. Uh, never stopped. Never stopping. <laughs> Don't so. stop believing. And, Don't and if, if this one's a stinker for whatever reason, whatever. Clean slate next time. We have Malignant, so we're fine. Yes. Molly, you yeah, like Malignant? Oh, of course. Okay, oh, of good. Course. Yeah. I've read her work. I know she yes. loves Malignant. Oh, Malignant is so good. <laughs> I'd be shocked if she didn't. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. All right. Um, so uh, we will move from Aquaman. We're going to go big scale to like smaller. And I, I like smaller scale uh, with even though it's got an exclamation point, it's smaller scale. It's Shazam <laughs> from 2019. I read this study about superpowers, and in six out of ten, belief is the key. I believe I can fly! I believe I can fly! Superman! Superman! What arm is it? Your phone's charged. What the hell? Oh, snap! 
for not getting robbed. Directed by David F. Sandberg, another horror guy going to uh, D.C., uh, written by Henry Gaden on a story by Gaden and Darren Lemke. Uh, this one stars Zachary Levi, Mark Strong, Asher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Adam Brody, Jaman Hansu, Faith Herman, Megan Good, Grace, Carolyn Curry. I hope I got your name right because I know some people have not and you email them. So I hope I got it right. Uh, Michelle Borth, Ian Chen, Ross Butler, DJ Catrona, Marta uh, Milans, and... My guy, Cooper Andrews, and my pal, John Glover, a newly fostered young boy in search of his mother, instead finds unexpected superpowers and soon gains a powerful enemy. Uh, So, uh, I've had some interesting um, run-ins with this cast uh, through convention stuff in the past couple years. Um, Got little bits about him. Uh, John Glover, uh, one time... Came by my booth because uh, we had a replica, uh, like actual prop model uh, gremlin sitting there, and I asked him about this, um, this uh, a little like Sunday night movie from the '80s that they forced us to watch like multiple times in school, middle school, high school, called David, with G- um, Bernadette Peters, no relation, and uh, the the middle Lawrence kid, and it's about a dad who's getting divorced from a mom, and then tells the shows up at the kid's school and uh, tells him he's taking him to Disneyland and takes him to a hotel and burns down the hotel and the kid survives. Um, true story, based on a true story. So I I just like, you know what? John, can we talk about something? <laughs> he's like, sure. <laughs> and I talk him, he's like, why in earth would your school make you watch that repeatedly? I'm like, I don't know. But that was my, you scared the crap out of me for a long time because of that. Uh, and he's like, you know, David was on the set with us and his mom, and the director of it thought the movie was so terrible, I got to rewrite all of my dialogue. I was like, okay, fine job. You creep me out, man. Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah. And then we exchanged Instagram accounts because he's like, I want you to call your – I want to know. He's like, do you still go to your – like?" I go, no, I want nothing to do with my old school. He's like, well, if you ever want to call them and ask why they, they – uh, they showed you that so many times, you know, hit me up or whatever. I'm like, I, yeah, <laughs> it's okay, John. Um, and then uh, Asher Angel one time, I had a booth near him. I felt so bad for that kid. He's like this hot shot teen actor. You know, he's doing music too. And the only people coming to his booth were like gross old men with comic books for him to sign. And no. just all day long. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. He was probably like, where are the ladies or the guys? You know, it was like, no, like the youngest person was probably in their 40s that came by to see him, um, which I'm in my 40s. So, oops. Uh, and then I, I want to mention, I know I talked about this on my first episode of this year, but Cooper Andrews, I did uh, Louisville PopCon with, um, and we were at the same hotel and stuff. And after the the shooting I survived, he was there for me like all weekend, finding me, talking to me. Uh, we hung out every night, and uh, he was just really good to talk to. Cool dude. Uh, so want to give a shout-out to uh, everybody's favorite foster dad here in Shazam, which is a movie I do like quite a bit. Um, this hit me. Um, I saw this movie before I met all these people, just putting that out there. Um, this one surprised me because I kind of was like about it going in, 
and this kind of pulled that like some nostalgia I don't know some sort of nostalgic heartstrings or something but I like the story of this found family the foster kids uh it just I don't know something was clicking for me with this one uh Sandberg's ability to make a well-done 80s superhero movie just merely in tone and thematics more than setting it and set dressing and just like, look, this takes place in present day, of course, but there's a lot of that feel to it, uh, that sort of um, family movie, but kids feel they're getting away with some scary stuff or like over the top uh, monster things that happen in this movie with violence and spooks and all that stuff. Um, I think the cast chemistry is really great here. Uh, I like the low stakes, as I mentioned. There's uh, the humor was mostly working for me. It just feel felt like DC didn't ha- had, like it didn't feel like there was pressure on this one mm-hmm. at all. Like it felt like they were just like you know what we can make you know make our movie. No, it doesn't have the cool action uh, and spectacle like the other ones did. Although I do like the the humor of uh when mark strong and him are up in the sky and he's shouting all these terrible things at him he's like <laughs> i can't hear you dude <laughs> like that one gets me they still every time Kung Fu Panda too but that's also a masterpiece so I'll let there it go. you go so i i liked it um and yeah i like i didn't expect all the the shared super like all those people i felt like they were they saved that for the sequel or something but no it's right here it's a good way of coming together the the going and like i i'm not a foster child, right? Like I, I, I know my biological, like I didn't grow up like that, but like I felt for this kid in his search for his mother. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think it, it all works for me in this low stakes sort of way. And is like one of my favorites of this run of DC movies. So uh, we'll move on. Who wants to go next? Molly or Scott? Oh, you can go next. Okay. Um, right. I mean, yeah, obviously again, I am slightly biased since it is another horror director, <laughs> but um, I, I, this one, I think it had, like you mentioned, it had a lot more freedom to kind of just be a little bit more fun and lower stakes because it wasn't beholden to what was going on with the rest of this universe. And I just, I also love all the the found family. And I think the chemistry between the kids, both like the young versions and the adult versions is fantastic. I also think the casting was amazing for the aged up versions of all of these kids. I mean, I never would have thought to do to cast Adam Brody as an older version of Jack Dylan Grazer, but it works so well. <laughs> and just I what I love about this one is that it's just a fun, funny like superhero movie. Like you mentioned, it f- does feel very much almost like a Goonies kind of 80s film. But I also like that this one really speaks to why I think a lot of kids start reading comics. It's because they want to see themselves as these characters, as these superheroes. Think They like to imagine what it would be like if they were in that position, if they had all these abilities. And this film literally does that. It takes these kids who have no abilities and never would have dreamed of being able to do these things and just kind of throws it in their lap. And they're getting to live the dreams of millions of kids who read comic books. And I, I think that's what makes it so fun and heartfelt. And it like it makes you feel connected to the characters in a way. And it, it is it does feel very nostalgic. It kind of takes me back to my childhood when I watched this film. 
And I, I think that's a very special thing that they did. And it's so unique and it feels different than any of the other films in the DCEU. And the um, bad guy's just a trench coat and an eye. Like yeah. that's that's all. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't need to have all this like mm-hmm. big flashy stuff. And I also I just I think they they do such a great job with the comedy. Like the whole sequence when they're filming, testing to see what all of his different powers are. Which honestly reminded me a little bit of season one of the show Heroes, <laughs> when oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The Hayden Pinatero's character, yeah, <laughs> does, kind of does something. There were more but... seasons to Heroes, <laughs> <laughs> but just I and that's something that kids would do. You know, they they would be like, okay, well, I know I can do this thing. Let's see how far I can take it, and let's see what I can really do. <laughs> mm-hmm. It never forgets the Zachary Levi car- version is. Um, a kid and the other mm-hmm. ones either the other ones don't have as much screen time but there's a there's a real chance a director cheats or forgets or something like you know like and but Zachary Levi's version of um a Billy Batson is consistent the whole magically like I calling a Zachary Levi performance magical but um it works start to finish with it like and you can see growth in both of them, the young one and the older one, that is pretty impressive to pull off for like a little superhero movie, um, you know, costume cape drama. And with the with the kind of snowballing with the idea of like kids getting to live out their dreams as superheroes, I also love that this has so all the kids have so many different backgrounds that they're coming from. They're different ethnicities. There, there's uh obviously Grazier's character has a disability like and the fact that they're able to do these things that they never would have imagined I think is also something so special that also makes this a weirdly heartwarming superhero film and heartwarming isn't a word that I use (laughs) with superhero films very often but this one is definitely very it's just there's something very sweet and and honest about it in a weird way. Um, and I just, I think that they kind of had like lightning in a bottle with this one. And I, I don't know if it's something that another superhero film is going to be able to capture. Right. Exactly. Scott, why do you hate this movie and are a monster? (laughs) This may be my favorite DC films film. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a close four way tie, but well, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with one of the producers of Lights Out before it came out. I don't think it was director David Sandberg, and frankly, I wouldn't have recognized him if it was. And the producer mentioned that when they wrote the screenplay to Lights Out, they wrote a version of it that had no scares, no genre elements, to make sure that the film worked as a human drama. And I don't know if they did that for this, but it sure as hell feels like they did. Mm-hmm. Because this film absolutely works as an emotionally raw, in a kid-friendly way, an emotionally raw and uncompromising foster care melodrama in a way that reminded me of Antoine Fisher, uh, Shoplifters, uh, Instant Family, uh, other films of that nature. And, you know, it's 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 and it amazingly also works as both a DC superhero film. That takes place in the same world as Batman v Superman. You know, this was the film that, you know, in better times, like, okay, they clearly don't need to reboot. 
Because if they can make a movie like this that still makes sense being in the same world as Dawn of Justice and Suicide Squad and Aquaman, then that's the ball game. I mean, that's what everybody said they wanted. I mean, this is in the Walter Hamada era, and unfortunately, he got libeled after the fact because the discourse seemed to blame him for crap that happened during Justice League, even though it was what happened during Justice League that had him getting put in charge of the DC universe in the first place. You know, that was a, a reaction to Justice League disappointing. And it made sense, though, because he's the guy that him and James Wan shepherded the Conjuring universe, which is still the only fully functional, entirely successful post-Avengers cinematic universe. So it made sense that they would bring those guys to do this one. And this is a film that where the human characters are so charming and sympathetic and detailed and just delightful that I almost don't want them to put on capes and go off and fight crime. It's almost more fun to them just watch them hang out and talk to their, you know, the, the foster parents that are, you know, this is a film full of what I like to call unexpected goodness in which, you know, it's easy to make somebody cry if you kill a dog or you have something horribly tragic happen, but it's a lot harder to make, to move people via people being unexpectedly good to each other. Yeah. And that is for me, at least far more moving because of that. Um, and this is a film filled with unexpected goodness. And I was unaware enough of the Shazam comics that I was completely surprised by the third act turn where they all get powers. And I thought, God, this is the best fucking superhero plot twist since Iron Man three. Yeah. And what a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful payoff. And if it, it feels like it's a payoff, it's a reward. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the idea that these kids, they all get to play in the sandbox. And I love that the villain, he's not so much sympathetic, but he has such a dramatic opening backstory that you're like, yeah, I can see why he's a bitter bastard. Um, And, you know, the film, I don't want to say effortlessly because this takes work, but it does blend foster care drama with superhero tropes with a just a little bit too scary Amblin era horror film. Yeah. And I remember I, I saw this with with Aaron Newworth at a one of the I mean a really early press screening, which that's if they show it to me early, that's not a sign they know it, they think it's good. But and I remember during the boardroom scene when he's walking through and just killing the shit out of everybody in these ridiculously overtop ways, I just turned to Aaron and goes, I think I fucking love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the people in the glass and it's like yeah. fogging up. Oh, it's so good. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so gleefully violent in a way that's fun. And again, as you said, you know, when you're, it's a way that's like, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, you feel like you're getting away with something, yeah. which is why it drove me nuts. You know, some of the discourse, not all of it, but because the film got very good reviews, but it's like, oh, yeah, the film's too violent for kids. I'll scare them. Bullshit. This movie is exactly violent enough for kids. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll tell you um, this, speaking of kid, like this is one, uh, this, this movie has the odd distinction that it was a superhero that movie that made my top 10 the year it came out. Mine too. And my family and I have watched this since the theater. We've watched this a couple times. Like we don't get to watch, you know, the same movies a lot. If they're not like uh, some sort of like we watch this every year at this time or something like that. But this one has come up that let's watch that one. Or, and when the new one came out, they, well, we've got to watch, we got to watch the original again. So it really sat with them. And, and I don't, even like rewatch 
Marvel Marvel movies tend to I watch them in the theater, I review the 4K, and then I really don't get back to them again. But to for Shazam to have been on my conscience to have returned to so much, like that's something it's to like special it's delivered to me in a, in an odd way. And I only knew of the character <laughs> Um, when it was, uh, there was uh, the old black and white movie serial Captain, Mar- when it was Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel said Shazam. And then I know rights changed and now for the better, I think we have two distinct characters out yeah. of, out of thing. Um, and I think Shazam's a cool name. I would, I don't know why there's, where there's a complaint. No one, no one complains old enough to have been there at the turn. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just being a, you're just being a complete asshole. Hey, this is Captain Marvel serials when I was just yeah. a lad. I got them when I was in the 90s as a kid at Farmore Drugstore, and it was a VHS tape. I still have it, uh, and I have the Blu-ray edition they came out with, and guess where I put it? Next to Shazam and my S's, so suck oh. it. That's also funny because when I Googled this film just to pull, it, pull up the IMDb and stuff, on the Google search, it shows... Zachary Levi credited as Captain Marvel. <laughs> and I was like, something's not quite right here. Yeah. This yeah. isn't adding up. You know, the guy who says Shazam for his powers, you can call him Shazam. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes a little sense, I think. Somebody needed to tell Jane Johnson that. but Yeah. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm bit, I, I really am very high on this one. And for all the reasons we've all said, like it's this was a this was a special one, and it comes after the big. It's a nice come down from Aquaman when going in this in this order to something like this, and this came out. I mean, just a couple after months after Aqu- after Aquaman and Shazam, and I didn't love Joker, but I was thrilled by how successful it was. By the end of 2019, it's like they're gonna fucking pull this off. Yeah, you know, you're gonna have a situation where you know Marvel is basically like Law and Order, where it's always at least this good and sometimes it's very good but you're gonna have dc which is like homicide life on the street which is less popular more idiosyncratic and has lower lows but bam when it hits it hits they roll the dice Mm -hmm. like i have said that's the one thing i enjoy about dc is i don't know what i'm getting when i'm going in and that kind of excites me (laughs) you know know, a, a more generic comparison is you know Marvel is is Pixar and DC is DreamWorks, which yeah. okay, but yeah. sometimes you get a fucking How to Train Your Dragon too. Yeah, which um, going off that <laughs> in the same world as Shazam, we have Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of one Harley Quinn. One, which is Harley our Quinn. our next movie. In yeah, but now there will be multiple. There always have been. Their voice actors yeah. count, Scott. They're people. <laughs> I've met many. They're people. They're very nice and good at their craft. Um, which came out in 2020. Can I help you? I'm here to report a terrible crime. Joker and I broke up. And a lot of people want me dead. Oh, shit. He's after all of us now. Unless we all want to die, we're going to have to work together. With you. Are we ready? Woo! <laughs> it's directed by Kathy Ann, written by Christina Hodson. Star look, one writer. This is the first DC movie with one writer. Because we're not 
Joker wasn't just Todd Phillips, right? I know we're not covering, we're not doing, yeah, we're not doing uh, Joker unless the people demand it. We're doing Joker, Molly. We're doing Joker and the Batman. People demand it, and also as of now, no one has sent us Batgirl. So please, (laughs) we would if you'd like to have it covered, and you you will be anonymous. You can send us Batgirl. We will talk about Batgirl. Put a watermark on it, so you know. I don't, well, maybe not. You don't want to have that. So, anyways, this yeah. So this is the first one with one writer, uh, not counting comics created, characters created by all that stuff. So, and stars Margot Robbie, Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett, uh, Ewan McGregor, Ella Joy or Ella J. Basco, uh, Ali Wong, and Chris Messina. After splitting with the Joker, Harley Quinn joins superheroines Black Canary. Huntress and Renee Montoya to save a young girl from an even crime, evil crime lord in a movie that says DC, but what if Guy Ritchie? Right, that's kind of yeah. the, the vibe here. Which I that's a that's a that's a and positive thing. It was uh, better than that year's Guy Ritchie movie. It yes, came out like a week beforehand. <laughs> right, you don't hate the gentleman, but this is better. This is better. All right, Molly, thoughts on Birds of Prey? Hey, this is probably going to be a controversial opinion but this is my favorite film of the DCU. not in this house not in this house. no it's it's and it may not be my favorite but it's up there not in this not controversial. this is where it's going to sound crazy this is actually probably in my top five superhero films in general that includes all of the other uh properties as well but i just this one I've been told that it is not super accurate to the comic, but again, I haven't read the comics, so I don't care. <laughs> Adaptation. It's yes. allowed to be different, but like I have always preached like there's a difference. Enjoy your you know comics. You know what else isn't accurate yes. to the comics? The Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, this is such a fun film. First of all, the cast is so incredibly stacked. I think despite... Suicide Squad, I think Margot Robbie is a fantastic Harley Quinn. I mean, honestly, that woman can do no wrong. She, I would be happy with her in any role. Um, Rosie Perez is one of the most amazing actors. I love everything that she's in. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, amazing. Journey Smollett, I think that she does not get enough credit for how fantastic she is. And... Her role in this film as Dinah Lance slash Black Canary is so wonderful. I honestly wish that she had been able to get her own film as that character. I would watch the crap out of that. Ewan McGregor makes a hilarious villain. <laughs> I, and like Chris Messina as his little, <laughs> his little henchman, which I, I don't know what this says about me and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I find Messina weirdly attractive in this film. Oh, there's um, no shame in that. I mean You should hear about some of Scott's crushes throughout. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just it's so fun. And it just if Xenia on a top can crush me in her thighs anytime <laughs> she wants. It's but it's like I love that it's a breakup film as well as like a buddy comedy, as well as a superhero film. It's all these different things wrapped into one. And the dynamics between the characters, it, it just works. Like the way they're written and how different all of the characters are, but then the way that they're able to come together and and try to save Cassandra Kane. It's just, it's so well written. 
and the characters are fantastic. And visually, I think this one feels like it is straight out of Harley Quinn's brain. (laughs) This is what is inside her brain, especially the scene when she goes into the precinct and just absolutely annihilates everyone in there. And it, it's just so it's poppy. It feels like a comic book. The visuals, it's, I kept expecting pow to pop up on the screen when she mm-hmm. was hitting people in the face. Like it's you get flowers um, and stuff. That's fun. Well, then you yeah. couldn't see the blood and gore. That's true. Yeah. And that's <laughs> another thing, like on top of like the glitter and the, and the pops of color, there's still like quite a bit of violence in this. So it has a little bit of something for everyone. Um, and I just think the humor in this one too, it's some of it is subtle and some of it's more in your face, but it, it's what it's so layered and works well. Like I love that she has the hyena named Bruce. Like it's funny cause it's a hyena and it's a laughing hyena because she's a, a Harlequin. And it's funny because she has a crush on Bruce Wayne without knowing who he is. Mm. Like it's just the, all of the layers to it is so great. And it's, it's one of those films that I can watch over and over again and I don't get sick of it because it is just such pure entertainment. Um, and I, I, I wish that we could have gotten more films with these women in it because they are all just so fantastic, and I think they're perfectly cast. Yeah, like I, I could gush about this film a lot, so I'm gonna. Stop all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Scott. Uh, I also love it. I mean, I you know if you ask me what my you know favorite DC films films are, I mean. You know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, mix and match. I really don't give a shit what the ranking is. Just depends on what the day is. Um, This is a wonderful, delightful, pinball, cocaine-fueled crime comedy of a movie. Literally in one scene. Um, And it's frustrating because a lot of the reasons why it works artistically are some of the same reasons why it wasn't a financial success. It is an R-rated movie, which, you know, I warned them about this a few years beforehand just because most female-driven action movies are R-rated movies. So you're it's less unique in the marketplace alongside something like Resident Evil, Underworld, Atomic Blonde, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, it, you know, it earns its R rating there. You know, the villain is a vicious, rapey bastard. Um, and the film is very upfront about, you know, conflicts that are specific to gender and i you know it's it's i still think it's an incredibly fun and escapist and all that jazz but you know it is a real movie that's made by a singular auteur who actually has shit to say in a way that i think doesn't always play well to the twitter discourse world um that being said the action scenes Again, because of the R rating, the action scenes are incredibly coherent and, you know, authentic and brutal in a way that you couldn't do in a PG-13 movie. Um, And I know that they brought in the 8711 crew, or they were one of the producers anyway, to do some action reshoots and obviously, you know, good. This is a case where reshoots were a good idea. Um, As far as I know, it didn't change the story in any real way. Um, and the performances are just delightful. Um, yes, you know, all the, I, Mary Elizabeth Winstead stood out. She was basically playing the huntress, like a character from the tick cartoon. 
And I mean that as an incredible compliment. Yeah. And it's like, it was almost like, okay, what if you take this character who, you know, witnessed her parents being killed at a young age by criminals? And what would she realistically be like as an adult? And realistically, she'd be socially awkward and probably a little unhinged in a, you know, relatively crowd-pleasing fashion. Um, and she is just hysterical in this picture in a very low-key way. Um, and again, I mean, to get into the broader points, I mean, and again, you know, alternate histories, yada, yada, yada. Can you imagine what the reputation for DC would have been like if there had been no Justice League movie? It just, there is no Justice League movie. You get Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey. Yeah. What the DC reputation would be like at that <laughs> point. Because I will put those four films alongside any of the four best Marvel films you can think of without the, without blinking. They are spectacular comic book entertainments. And they are everything that we said we wanted out of the DC universe and that they are different in terms of genre and budget and size and scale and intent. They are interconnected without being, you know, driven hard by continuity. They are character over plot, which frankly, I think that's an issue with some of the Zack Snyder pictures early on is that they, you know, the big picture was more important in the same way that a lot of the lost ripoffs were like the mythology first and character second. Right. Um, and it just, it, it still breaks my heart that Walter Hamada got, Frank, frankly slimed in 2020 and 2021 when he came in after Justice League and did the job and got the DC universe on track. And I think, I genuinely believe that absent the COVID pandemic and absent the constant regime changes at Warner Brothers, DC would be doing fine today. Yeah. And that we got four films this good regardless of what came afterwards, I think is a fucking miracle. Yeah. And I think it's a tragedy. The film did not do particularly well. Although again, you know, they probably should have just called it Harley Quinn and the birds of prey commercially. Maybe they should have tried for a PG 13. Um, but again, it's a frustrating situation where the, a lot of the reasons why the film financially failed is also why it's artistically triumphed. Yeah. And it was, you know, contrary to my belief, it was not a COVID casualty. The film was basically done by the time theater started shutting down. Yeah. Um, I mean, it flopped on opening weekend and didn't recover. Um, it wasn't marketing because the trailers are great and they played in front of it. They played in front of Joker. They played in front of bad boys for life. People knew the film was coming out. Um, they just made the conscientious choice to say, no, thank you. Because once again, the internet claims that people want birds of prey, but they actually show up for Joker. Yeah. Which, and that will never stop pissing me off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll say here, like the four films you mentioned, the Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, and now Birds of Prey. Like, yes, um, absolutely. And those four, I've probably watched more than I would say maybe any Marvel film. Like these are ones I repeat. Well, I saw Birds of Prey. I was like, holy shit, yes. Even more than Joker, this is DC saying this is what we can do, and you won't. You're scared to do Marvel. Yes, you can't do this. Yeah. You, dare you? You would, dude. Kevin Feige would lose his shit if something like this got turned into him. And that's <laughs> the beautiful thing about this movie. And that's uh, no. And frankly, that's no criticism of Marvel because Marvel 
up to a point was very successful doing mm-hmm. its own thing. Yeah. And Robbie. And I, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Robbie's one of the best things about that first Suicide Squad movie. She holds her own with Will Smith. She makes the cars a thing for herself. And they recognize that. That's good. Uh, they recognize that over more than Leto's Joker or any other character in that Suicide Squad. Okay. They're like, okay, we need to hold on to this. And they do. They give her her own movie. They let her front and center. They add some surrounding things. I'm happy as can be to see a huntress there and an act, an actor who I have enjoyed. I know you'll probably claim Sky High, Scott, but Final Destination 3, when I was doing the uh, subtitles for that, going, who is this? Uh, <laughs> and following her ever since, because she's a wonderful actress. Um, and... I, I like what she's got going on here. It's so funny. Uh, and they're, they're not afraid to like crack, but still like go on with things. And you mentioned Jerry Spiller. She's so good, but like it's, it's impressive because she gets the unfun part of all of them. Yes. You know? Yeah. She has to yeah. just keep, Just like Ray Fisher. She I mean, has that's, to keep I think straight. He's yeah. Excellent in both versions. It's just, he's the unfun one. Yeah. Cause you know, Rosie Perez is given a full on arc and gets some hot headed stuff. And, Gets the you know I gotta I I have to turn on what I was accustomed to. Harley gets to go crazy, and then the Huntress is a ridiculous kind of parody, uh, or or as Scott said the realistic situation. But oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's set in that world. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, um, this is just full of ideas, not holding back. The action is unique to itself. Just visual. Uh, I mean, they have the musical number in this movie. Uh, it's it's great that uh, the playhouse setting at the end that's awesome. Oh. So Harley, so that um, yeah, with you know, mentioned the jailbreak is there. Um, just it's this movie's I, I called it wonderfully singular because you know we're not getting any more, but it just it just throw it to some. I showed this to my son for the first time when we were watching for this. He loved it. He, at the beginning, was like, did he just cut that guy's face off? And I was like, yeah. He's like, huh, sweet. I was like, yeah. And he's like, you, he's like, and he was just really, he's like, he was, and it's funny because I, I, did I let him watch Suicide Squad before the, no, no, he watched it after, but he was so disappointed there wasn't going to be more, you know, Margot Robbie Harley because he's like, she really wor- like works. And the one thing they never did, they never forced her into any of the Justice League shit. Yeah. They let her have she has her own world. Yeah, Affleck shows up for some cameo in, you know, the first Suicide Squad. That don't count. She's living in her own DC world, which is a fun, colorful, wild one. I will tell you this, four months after this movie, and you know, it was a lot during the pandemic when we were all bored and um this movie came out on 4K and I was watching it. My, I like I was trying to make this breakfast egg sandwich. Oh, that she was yes. made. I was just like, I want that. This movie made me want that. That's a thing from this movie. That I was like, okay. Like, and it, it's so interesting. Like these characters live in a fully realized world that I feel like we can relate to. Whereas Marvel's kind of like this, like asexual, just mono, like I'm just a citizen going to work. Oh no, an attack. Thank you, Captain America. I will go back to life. You know, and these people interact realistically with the people around them. There's, you know, she has a landlord. There's all, you know, it's, I don't know. There's something that feels like it's got a pulse here when it comes to what's happening outside of the superheroes. I think that's partially because, and these were, you know, to be fair, I mean, you can, I don't know if you call Birds of Prey a part one because technically it 
it's a sequel to Suicide Squad. But, you know, unlike Suicide Squad, you know, there's a lot of superhero fiction that you get to a point where, like, everybody on screen is a superhero. And yeah. they only interact with other superpowered people, either heroes or villains. Yeah. And this was a problem with heroes after season one. It's a huge epic fucking problem with the the CW stuff. Um, and I say that as a fan, you know, it's, it's but and that's one of the reasons I think I like Shazam. So one reason I like Shazam, the first Wonder Woman, and then Birds of Prey is that the these extraordinary characters are constantly interacting with the real world. Yeah. And that is interesting. That's that's part of the appeal of the stories. If it's just you know the Avengers in the mansion hanging out with each other, I would argue that's boring to a certain extent. Um, if you want, if you want that, you get the X Men. Yeah, that's what you, I mean. That's what they they do. That's what you you want the superhero melodrama between the groups, which yeah. is why also when stuff like this, I'm also more when I was doing my comic book reading as a youngin, I was more singular. Um, I never cared for like the team ups or the ma- like. Once in a while, like Superman showed up in a Batman comic. That's cool. Get I was your crossover out of my stories. Yeah, I was just like the singular stories and stuff like, and it just got too garbled with that. But I did like the X Men. That's why I I loved the X Men, and I liked that about that was my this the grouping of superheroes I would like because they were all conjoined and always going to be together and always had a singular. They had a focus on what was going on. Uh, and they did interact in weird ways with the world, but yeah. And Huntress, obviously, uh, oddly enough, was there when I started reading comics because she came shortly, at when Tim Drake was being uh, introduced. She was around similar time, I believe. Death of Robin, Tim Drake, um, Huntress came around. The Cry of the Huntress was, I believe, her first arc. I have it somewhere in my chest. I think speaking to the the idea of them interacting with like everyday people too. I think it's also great that really half of this group are are just like normal people they yeah. don't have mm-hmm. only one of them has any kind of actual powers and it's and i she mean barely uses it if I yeah, yeah 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 that's true uh and, and so i think that that makes it again it makes it kind of more accessible in a in a different way than shazam but in also kind of similar it's a very different but it makes it so like yeah, like if Renee Montoya can just like be a, a everyday detective, but she's kicking ass right alongside Black Canary and Harley Quinn, <laughs> why can't I do that? <laughs> I mean, I can't because I don't leave my house. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just I, I I think that's part of what's so great about this and just the attention to detail in it. The the set designs are fantastic. Like you mentioned earlier, that that whole climax in the fun house is so amazing and it makes it it makes the violence fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and even like the set design in the precinct when she's in like the um I assume that's a big evidence room and stuff, which is and the little details that are even in there, like if you're really paying attention to the things on the shelf, there are things that reference other events that happened not in this film and it's just, and even the costume design is so fantastic in this one. Harley's outfits are amazing. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I remember a lot of people, and by people I mean men, complaining about Huntress's outfit in this, saying like, oh, it doesn't give her any shape or anything. It's like, that's not the point of her outfit. She's yes, because to you totally turned her down if she came up to you in a bar. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. She's wearing a utility outfit because she's there to murder people. <laughs> she's not there to look hot. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's but yet. Yeah. <laughs> she, she is still very hot. 
Um, but it's just, I, and I think that that's such a great thing because none of these women are, and I think that's probably why a lot of people were mad about it. None of these women were there for the pleasure of men. And I think in a lot of ways that did hurt the film because the the main demographic of a lot of these superhero films are going to be men. But at the same time, that's one of the reasons why people like me love this film. It's It feels having a woman direct, having a woman write it, having the, the entire core cast be women and the, the main men in it are all villains. <laughs> like it's, it's so different than any of the other superhero films that have come out really in the last 20 years. Yeah. And, and it's so unique and it's, it's kind of like, I know I already said this, but it's another lightning, lightning in a bottle kind of situation where I don't know if this is something that's going to be replicated again, at least for another decade, if not longer. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad that we got what we did, even though I wish we got a hell of a lot more of it. Yeah, no, this is absolutely what I want more of from if we're going to have superhero movies around, I want this. I want I want the wild, like stylistic, just someone's vision of what this is rather than to a T from the page or something like that. Because I'm sorry, I've talked about like I've talked about this where I'm, I'm like I have more than all the great Batman stuff that I really love. I, I have it all, but I, I want to see some crazy Batman shit. I don't I like the Batman was fine, but it was nothing to me, nothing new, even though every time it comes around and they're like, Oh, I did it darker and newer. And it's like, eh, it's kind of stuff we've seen, but like, I want like Gotham by gaslight where it's, I always mention that one. Cause it's like doing a really interesting, uh, Jack, the Ripper, Batman in the Jack, the Ripper era, how it looks back then or doing, you know, someone maybe do uh, Aronofsky's script where he was a homeless guy and Alfred was a mechanic. Like mm-hmm. do that mm-hmm. one. I want to see something crazy. I run based on the seventies stuff, the Cape Crusader era. Yeah. I think Batman forever came closest, but I mean, just once can we get the blue and gray with the yellow oval? Thank you. Yes. They got close <laughs> in the flash. They were so close in the flash. I was like, oh, it's blue and gray, but no, not that. Why are they so against the yellow oval? Why? <sighs> oh, it's fancy. And it's, it's, and again, you know, the, the, the film underperforming is frustrating because, again, it shows that people lie when they say what they actually want to see in theaters, not just in terms of diversity and inclusivity, just in terms of, you know, originality and new to you stuff and what have mm-hmm. you. Um, I mean, this was a case where Warner Brothers hired a female Asian filmmaker that had one indie film that hadn't even opened yet. This person was so unknown, I had never even heard of her. And they gave her an $80 million R-rated DC comic superhero movie. I mean, that's kind of how the system is supposed to work, and that's what we say we want. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I hope to see more of her. It doesn't have to be in this world. I mean, yeah. her next movie is called The Freshening with John Boyega. And uh, I will watch it. I, yeah, she's on my like I saw this movie and she's like on my list. She did an episode of Succession yeah. a, couple, a couple years ago. But I yeah, like Kathy Ann, you are someone to watch because and like, you know, all the discourse around the, you know, the Marvels. 
I don't give a shit if Nia DaCosta ever makes another superhero movie. As long Please as you don't, make Nia. Her... You have oh, more yeah, brilliant. Please don't get out go. while you can. Run. I want more. Get out of dairy while you still can. Yeah. <laughs> I want. You'll float too. Here's the thing. Um, Marvels is fun, but yeah. there's that woman has so much talent I've seen oozing from Candyman in that that I want to see her just. I would blank check Nia Costa. I would blank. I would give her a blank check because I also I, I would, what, get, get what her, is her with all phone. of these. What is with all of these horror directors and <laughs> overlapping with superhero projects? Well, I think part of that was at least for DC. I mean, you had James Wan doing Aquaman because you know he was a name and he wanted to do it, and and then once uh, Hamada took over, it made sense to try to get you know horror. I think as a genre, and you probably, you guys are both more horror experts than I am, so you can call me full of shit if you want. But I, I do think there's some similarity in terms of heightened emotion and heightened spectacle, and and you know, mixing tones and and a certain amount of plausible, grounded fantasy. Making five bucks look like ten. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Juan again, is Aquaman, very good at Aquaman. Cost 165 million dollars. That movie looks like it cost a billion dollars. His all his movies, and I've said this yeah. about him and Lee Wanell. Like they make movies that like cost like two bucks look like a hundred million, where movies that are a hundred million don't even look like they're twenty. Like yeah. they they make the most of every dollar. If you go see even say the movie itself, the story of the movie you didn't like, you got your money's worth with a James Wan movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. You, you um, saw all the money on the screen. You saw someone maximizing effort. Like it's. That's what I have to say with him. And so far, Lee Wanell with the three films he's done so far. I believe it's yeah. Three. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's tax incentives and rebates and exchange rates. But how the fuck the Invisible Man only costs $7 million? I'll oh. never know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> look at, I mean, look what they do. Insidious. That first one. Is that what, a million? Yeah. And, uh, and people are making, yeah. Speaking of the two of them. My theory, this isn't actually a theory, I'm just being stupid, is that James Wan and Leigh Whannell got together and they like both read the script, you know, script to the Invisible Man. And Lee, Lee Whannell said, okay, I'm going to go off and make the straight version of this movie. And Wan said, okay, I'm going to make the version of this movie after licking some toads. And that's how we got Malignant. Because there's some very <laughs> structural similarities between those two films. I, I loved. I have. I have to assume they kind of at least talk shop about them respectively. Oh yeah, they're good. But and, and the thing I like about them is they love to move the camera. Mm-hmm. That's yes. one thing is so and like there's always there's a move that I like with Juan where he does this always does this where and and Lee Wan out does it sometimes too where it's like it's focused on an action and then someone throws them down like that. Always I always notice those in there. Yeah, those are always fun. It's in a Fast and the Furious one he did too. Uh, like I believe, uh, the Rock throws Statham down or something, or something like yes. that onto a coffee table, and I'm like, ah, there it is. It's so. it's not one of the more you know, it's not one of the buzzier sequences of that franchise. I think the first act, Forest Chased in Furious Seven, may be the best sustained action sequence of that entire franchise. Might. Um, and as far as the action scenes in Aquaman, I'm not saying I want a Super Smash Brothers movie because I'm 43 years old. <laughs> But those those fight scenes feel like Super Smash Brothers the movie, and I mean that as a compliment. There you go. I wouldn't. I saw the Mario movie. It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, yeah. So cool. Yeah. So Margot Robbie, unfortunately, steals scenes from um, Suicide Squad. Has this banger movie here, uh, which in the next Suicide Squad movie she'll get her own like side story and focus, um, which I like and more good stuff. But and I think commercially speaking, unfortunately, just, it's just not. Folks yeah. like us were wrong about the extent to which Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn was a murky character. But if you go. To conventions like her cosplaying took off, oh, yeah, like yeah. crazy, and like it used to be like you would count the Harley Quinns and count the Deadpool's at a convention. This one thing we would do every weekend, uh, but like with her, it was like her line took off in a way that like had just variations. <laughs> it's like so yeah, nice. and you know, I I so. remember the first Suicide Squad, and this is the least of this movie's problems. But yeah, I was a little like, ah, oh, I wish it looked a bit more like the comic book because I kind of enjoy that sometimes. But in terms of cosplay friendly costumes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and it's honestly this is one of the re- this is actually one of the reasons why I was initially a bit nervous to come on and talk about the DCEU because of um a lot of the toxicity that happens online around this entire cinematic universe but i think what hurts not just uh birds of prey but like then the suicide squad with her because it's still margot robbie and harley quinn i think a lot of the people who were mad about what happened with um like the the iron cutter whatever supposedly that Mm -hmm. is and then mad about everything that happened with justice league i think that anger towards those projects was then projected on oh god yes margot robbie as harley quinn and it's because i remember seeing pictures of people who were going to stores and putting like justice league stickers on the cover of the blu-ray for this film yeah, I, I do remember. Yeah, childish shit. So yes. unhinged to me, and I think that that we call those people a lot losers. Of yeah, <laughs> I unfortunately I think a lot of that toxicity and that anger and that vitriol, like it, it bled into this, and I think that unfortunately ultimately hurt the box office a lot for this film and the Suicide Squad because people were just so mad about it. And, and you know, even you know, Wonder Woman eighty four <laughs> ended up being a you know got thrown to the HBO Max gods, mm-hmm. and it was a sacrifice to the streaming gods. I, I still, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. Oh no, no, no! I, I, <laughs> I that was the base, basically what I wanted to say. Yeah, it's just, it's, I, it's just, it's so, it's frustrating because I think there were a lot of people that wanted this and were so happy that we got it. But it's just there was a much larger and louder population that um, was making it very clear that they were pissed off about it um, and they were going to do their best to ruin everyone else's enjoyment in the process. Despite probably enjoying this movie if they'd have given it a chance and watched it. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That's the thing. Um, for for what principles are you like? Yeah. It, I mean, oh. for God, I mean, you know, not, not to... <sighs> I will never understand people that put bigotry over lechery. Because mm-hmm. for me, I'm always going to prioritize lechery over bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but jokes aside, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think the discourse around the DCU, and frankly, most of it was Snyder related, let's be honest. I think it poisoned, I mean, poisoned the entire industry. 
it turned Rotten Tomatoes into a you know weaponized tool for an SEO driven media. It basically was the start of every single IP having branches of fandom that were like a a cult. It turned into yeah. like like a lot of this is I, I bring this up a lot and stuff has turned in our film culture this way after taking a long and our political culture is it's become like like sports is infused into it where you pick your team and you stick loyally by this team. Like it's like art isn't a sport. There's like, not, like scoring isn't that important score. Like I always like, you know, I like when I read people's stuff and I can get whether they liked it or not out of their words rather than just skimp it down to like a little score at the end and be like, Oh, okay. That, uh, um, but like I, and it, it it took over took hold with movies between this DC stuff and Star Wars, a, a, a fantastic Star Wars movie. Come at me, bros. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That yep. <laughs> that and all of a sudden, like they want to sync score, like and it's like, and then you realize that people don't even know how to use Rotten Tomatoes, right? Because for what is there, it is absolutely a nice tool. And I always hear people, I've heard people talking about Tamara's conversation. I don't get why this. And I'm like, hold up, pump the brakes. Click the button. Click, see the, the percentage. You can click that. Click it. Now, what's that say? That's your score. That's what they all added That's up to the at the end. That's the critical consensus. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, because, in, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, but if essentially a movie, every critic scored at six out of 10. It would be a hundred percent. Yes. Now, yes. Do you think a yes. six? Now, do you think a six out of ten is like a great movie? No. But that's the illusion of the Rotten Tomatoes. And often, yeah, when you have films that are like ninety-five percent fresh or whatever, sometimes they really are just that good. But also, you have a film like Get Out that you either think it's a masterpiece, or at worst, you think it's a very well-made piece of meat and potatoes entertainment. Ergo, the vast majority of critics are going to say it's at least three stars or better. And three star films are fine, folks. Three star yeah. films are fine. Two and a half is okay. Two and a half is okay, even. Like, Depends. <laughs> I use it. I use a ten point scale. So for me, those aren't great scores. No, a five. No, but a two and a half. You could flip a coin at that point. A three is yeah. like a three is fine. You did. They did like jobs. So, um, um, because a two, yeah, a two and a half is like well, it wasn't quite for them, but maybe it takes me over. I don't know. So. There's that, um, but but yeah, it, it this, this the good it, news for what it's worth is that as insane as the online discourse now is about everything, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they don't move the needle in terms of general nope. audience. Not for Captain Marvel, not for Green Book, which, despite all of us, oh, it's so problematic, blah blah blah, it's still one best picture and grossed three hundred million dollars worldwide. Uh, all the schmucks about you know it's 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 it wasn't on despite and fuck Disney for doing this but it wasn't online polling overseas that take the Little Mermaid overseas it was that no one gave a shit about the Little Mermaid overseas just like no one gave a shit about Solo a Star Wars story overseas Damn. and getting to your point one reason why the toxicity is almost worse than what you see in sports teams is that so many of these fandoms have co-opted the language of social justice. So now it's a moral point of view, whether you like or don't like these films, whether you support or don't support these films. So 
you know, now it's a matter of, you know, right and wrong, good and evil, <laughs> not just hometown pride, which is a different can of words. And, and not just, I went and saw a movie or yeah. eh, I don't have and time for that one. <laughs> I think The Last Jedi is the best fucking Star Wars movie ever made. I think The Rise of Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie ever made. That yep. being said, I would wager among general audiences, there's probably a 10% differential where they went and they saw it once or twice. Maybe they took their kids a second time. Eh, that was a good time, whatever. And they moved on with their lives. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. people that want into Star Trek Into Darkness, they didn't come out saying, oh, more Star Trek movie ever. Ah, yeah. They thought it was a polished, big budget Action spectacular with some good actors and a fun cast. And, you know, like that was fun, whatever. And they moved on with their lives. And, you know, it's funny. Scott Pilgrim was the warning to all this and it never heated. Like the superhero movies just were something people were getting into and wanted in the general populace and not the online people. And as far as the troll thing now, the problem is now it's a self-sustaining troll economy. You know, you have people on YouTube. This is how they pay their bills. Uh, yeah. So they oh, will gosh. never stop because they can't afford to. I cannot. This is slightly on topic, but what's the deal with the the picture of a person going, and then like the words like really big? That's... Like, does that attract people? The like, mm-hmm. I will never do that, folks. Like my listener, like <laughs> I, I don't care if my. I have always told I am in it because I enjoy this. I like to. If you want to listen, if you come along for the ride, that's great. So if you hated this episode and you're like. Screw all them for liking the DC movies that I hate because I worship Snyder, which we have praised his talents, just maybe aren't on the same wavelength as the film as you. other movies. <laughs> so, I Sucker Punch. So, I'm not weirdo. Uh, but like, I don't get why that's an attractive thing. Like everybody does. And that's what I found in like, the more we get with internet and tools and things come back, like things become easier but all it ends up being like, yes, it's cool that more of us can make film where I can make this podcast and stuff like that. But then it just becomes copying all the time because not everybody's the artist that they think they are. And then you just, I just see this endless thing of comment. Like if someone's like reaction to blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, I must click that or no, that guy's face is funny. Like I don't get that at all. And that's all it's consumed with. And that's this is the era where this starts coming to life. Yeah. And now it's, and again, we had a chance to nip this shit in the bud in the mid 2010s. Mm-hmm. The boycott episode seven movement in the November, December of 2015. We knew it was false. We, because people did the research and they said 96% of the online discourse around that hashtag was people saying, this is stupid. And the I same person, people, this. the people, yeah. And there's a lot of people that is the same person saying it over and over yeah. and over yeah. and over and over and I, over. I genuinely believe it's a small, you know, I don't know how small, but it is a faction of assholes that hop from one IP to another and yeah. try to roil up the discourse. And, all, and you have pundits that think that people bitching about black hobbits actually mean something. Well, it doesn't mean jack shit. Here's another problem, and I don't mean to get this going in like eight directions, but we live in this era where everybody's a fan of everything all the time. Like they know everything about everything. Like oh, 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 like oh, reaction video. Oh, I'm I know all about that. I don't like stick to your stuff, man. Like nobody, I don't know. And and there's yeah, go ahead. Yes. Oh, I was just gonna say there's this mentality too that like especially since a lot of these properties like Star Wars and DC, Marvel, and everything 
they've been around for a very, very long time. And there's that whole mentality that it's if if something new comes out that's part of that that you grew up with and you don't like it, then it's going to ruin your childhood. <laughs> and it's I, I'll admit I even was guilty of saying things like that, like, I don't know, back when like Transformers came out. But I was a lot younger and I'm an adult now and I can process things like an adult. And I understand that if something comes out that is connected to something I grew up with and I don't like it, that's totally fine. I don't need to watch it again. I can move on with my life and let other people enjoy it. And I'll just Mm -hmm. enjoy what I grew up on. And I don't understand why there's this end all be all where if it it doesn't live up to what you think it should be, then it needs to be ripped to shreds. Right. Or taken down or restarted or like, and you know, I will say though, we did wait and get Bumblebee, which I was very big fan of. Um, and it almost Transformers that was the one Transformers film that was saved by China. There you go. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. They want to trash it out. And then you see the people like, well, they need to restart this. What? So you can hate it again real quick? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, because that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. It would like, just be the same cycle starting all over again. Yeah. And I and for me, the weird like the weird realization has come now that like, like I grew up, I was loved Star Wars and everything like that. And now it's I'm just not as excited about it as I used to be like if you told young me that I'd be getting it all the time like all this stuff happening I'd be like whoa but it's like but you're gonna be like because I I hit like a peak with Last Jedi and then like I was okay with Solo and then like Rise of Skywalker the Mandalorian first season okay but when they started like we're getting into Star Wars. When chat. Luke Skywalker but showed up, when Luke Skywalker showed up, like because when I saw that, I'm like, oh, is this going to be Ezra Bridger? Because that was the stuff that was linking all this, <laughs> and then it was like, here's Luke, and I saw the scenes, and I knew exactly what the fucking online shit was going to be with that, and I was like, <laughs> oh, but I watched the shows and stuff, but I'm not like. More Star Wars, like it's it's just wild. I, I'd like to see one hit the theaters again, but they have trouble with that. Um, and it's not I, I I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but Kathy Kennedy is someone who has produced some of my favorite films, a lot of people's favorite films at all time, and I feel like even though she gets a lot of shit, she's done some good and has a lot to run here with one of the most hard nosed in the asshole franchises fan wise it could be so i don't know the same edict that is harming marvel put out a shit ton of disney plus shows or else yeah Mm -hmm. is you know isn't doing star wars any favors and yeah not to toot my own horn but i fucking warned about that in 2018 i was exactly old enough to know you know watch who wants to be a millionaire go from a sweeps only ratings powerhouse to a oh it's just another game show that airs every night nobody cares anymore right Okay. Well, that was Birds of Prey. Jesus. <laughs> this is all getting cut out. No, it, it, no, it, it really fits that that comes to fruition in this era. A lot yeah. of that has happened. And then we now head into a pandemic uh, where things get halted. Well, Wonder Woman's already been delayed at this point. It should have been out by now, right? Before Birds of Prey? No, no, no. Or, uh, wasn't it fall? Wasn't it like 2019? Birds of Prey came out in February. Came out February. Uh, Wonder Woman was scheduled for June. Right. And it wasn't until, the, you know, Wonder Woman got delayed first, I think, to August. Okay. Uh, a couple, a few weeks, a couple weeks after theaters shut down in early mm-hmm. March. 
See, I thought there was a delay before the. I thought there was a delay before the pandemic too. No, but no, no, that's just James Uh, Bond. I I apologize. Yes. Oh, okay. I apologize. It was moved from I think no December first, twenty nineteen, to November first or November second, whatever, twenty nineteen, and then to June, the first weekend in June of twenty twenty. Okay. So it wasn't a. It was just delayed because you know. They want a little bit more time, and I think they were moving a lot of their big guns out of the way because they knew Disney was on a warpath. Right. I mean, at the time, that was a good idea. Top Gun Maverick, Wonder Woman, Time to Die, even Death on the Nile, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, there was a presumption that they were going to let Disney have their fire sale mm-hmm. because, you know, they knew that Disney would never approach those heights ever again, which they have not. Um, and then in 2020, it was going to be, okay, now we're going to be on even playing field again. Yeah. And... Hmm. Made sense at the time. Right. Okay. But when Birds of Prey, you know, bombs, let's be honest, does 200 million on an 80 budget, which isn't great. It's like, okay, fine, but whatever. Because one, you know, great reviews. People liked it. You know, it's going to be a cult film. It's the kind of, you know, DC looks good for making this kind of movie situation. And hey, Joker's made a billion dollars. Aquaman made a billion dollars. Shazam made three, you know, 360 on a 90 budget. And you know, DC is doing fine because obviously Wonder Woman 84 is going to be a huge hit, even if it doesn't do as well as the first one. So and then you're going to have the Batman. That was, you know, the order was going to be Wonder Woman, the Batman, then the Suicide Squad. So at this point in the podcast, things are looking we're, up for DC. We're, lo- we're looking up again as we exit. Exactly. Uh, we're we're looking up again. A, they're on a fucking winning streak. Even better than and, before. This and the- everything is going to be OK. This is probably the. Most positive episode we're going to record. I, yeah. I, I, I want to predict that. I'm but, positive. That it's yeah. the most positive. There are three <laughs> movies. There are three movies in this episode. I'm going to I take with me forever. Like mm-hmm. I will. I will. I will take them with me. Superhero movies. Three like, of the four of my favorites. And hell, I'll be Justice League again. Four out. Four out of five are their four best, almost in a row. Mm-hmm. And as and in this in this MCU era of superhero movies. Like and I always mention people, my tastes are weird. I don't match up with a lot of people's um, stuff that they they like and dislike. I see one and I'm like, oh, that was good. Oh, they don't like that one. Okay, well, like I, for example, like uh, what was it the the Multiverse of Madness one? Enjoyed the fuck out of that. People oh yeah, hate people hate it when they killed all those regular random ki- people. Regular people thought it was fine. Okay, because when they killed all the, I, I saw <laughs> when they, they didn't love it, but they thought it was fine. When they killed all those cameo people that were yes. all like the internet liked them people, and I, I lost Good my shot. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Oh yes. no, oh no, you don't mess with that with the 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 Twitter crowd or it was Twitter at that time. It was yeah. Well, in many ways, I thought Multiverse of Madness was. A- probably their most transgressive movie since Iron Man 3. Yeah. In that it really sort of rubbed their, you know, implicitly or not, sort of rubbed the audience's face in the idea that Marvel was this fan-friendly, progressive franchise. Yeah. And that includes, you know, all due respect, people that weren't thrilled about uh, Scarlet Witch becoming a villain. Because again, you know, the she idea was that, a really good villain. I yeah, thought and, I liked what again, Elsa was doing, and I thought it was scary shit. I was, I was like, and okay. that's fair if you weren't crazy about that for whatever reason. But it also goes to the point that you know this this wasn't supposed to be a franchise that was like heal the world, good for you type stuff. Yeah. That was sort of something that got put on it because they happened to thrive during a point where nobody had anything else to believe in. Gotcha. 
Yeah, and it, and it luckily stuck to being a Doctor Strange sequel. Like that was the funny thing. Everybody, I think people are expecting some expansive shit out of it, and they're oh, they're going to show this in it and this in it, and then that doesn't happen, so they're disappointed because they're. But brave. again, that wasn't the marketing. That was just the nope, internet. It was not. Yep. So, okay. Um, well, we're we're leaving on a high. We're going to do that. We're going to leave on we'll a high. Let Molly, again. have the last word because we've been babbling. Constantly. Yes. So, so Molly. <laughs> Thank you again for, yeah, thank for coming you. back here. Uh, th- th- this is the insight. I was happy to have you here for. Um, so we're leaving DC and bright spirits and everything at and right. Uh, so uh, what do you have coming up and where can people follow along with you? Well, um, not well. I s- almost said not a lot coming up. That's actually not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I always have my monthly years horror column over on Certified Forgotten, analyzing a different horror film in the subgenre that I uh, kind of named and defined. Um, and then I also have uh, Queer Horror Film Guide is going to be coming out. I believe right now it's expected to be released in February of 2024. Um, but it is available for pre-order now, if that is something that you might be interested in. And of course, uh, pretty much on all social media, you can just find me at Molly Henry. The only exception is on Twitter, which I will never call by the other name on there. I am at blogging Banshee. (laughs) Gotcha. Are you doing Wakanda forever or Deadpool or Wonder Woman? (laughs) I always do when they, when they do that. With a X, I'm always like that because it's ridiculous and stupid. Um, it is, <laughs> and I still think it's yeah. I, I can't. I can't not laugh. By the way, okay, I can't not laugh when I I, I like yes. call it that. So I always say it so I can have a laugh. That's, that's what I always will say. So Scott, um, you've had some changes. What's what's going on? Tell people. Uh I am writing weekly columns for Buck News, and I have started a new Substack. That's sort of going back to what I did at Forbes. Um, box office punditry, movie reviews, generalized punditry, think pieces, that kind of thing. There's not a paywall up now, but there will eventually be for at least some of the articles. Um, it's called The Outside Scoop. So please Google some variation of Scott Mendelson Substack Outside Scoop. Mm. And uh, spoiler, this is being recorded before it starts. So hopefully I'll have a better idea what the fuck I'm doing there by the time this uh, airs. It's a Rocky Road scoop, by the way. In case people were wondering, that's what two scoops, double scoops. That was my uh, my handle on a on a Halloween message board back in the day was double scoops. <laughs> and I was just a picture. It was this really bit like little cheapest looking ice cream cone cartoon that I found. So anyway, <laughs> thank you, Scott. So next year we're, uh, when we do a uh, fall retrospective, you're going to be moving from Puck to somewhere else, I imagine. I hope not. You went from <laughs> Forbes to the Rap, and then this year you're going for Okay. Anyway. Well, I, was at, I was at the Rap <clears throat> Forbes for nine years, so we'll see. Uh, yeah. Uh, Freaking millennial Gen X, no loyalty. Just I'm 43 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Look at you. All right. Uh, I'm on the socials at Brandon4KUHD. For anything podcast stage or uh, live podcast stage or podcast awards related, you check out PopCon, which is at popcon.us, happening uh, in April of next year and uh, August of next year. They have officially moved uh, the Louisville date from June to August and in a new facility. So very excited about that. Uh, Next week, Chris Johnson of the Normies joins us for part three of this DC retrospective. The COVID era. With Wonder Woman 1984, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, the Suicide Squad, 
and Peacemaker, the TV series from Max, uh, which I feel like we're revisiting a lot of things. Oh, Wonder Woman's back. We're going to do Justice League again. It's another Suicide Squad. Maybe that's why that slate didn't go. So I don't know. All right. Well, anyways. Can you, can you imagine how much, how confused regular people watching the Oscars in 2022 were when they saw a scene they didn't recognize from a film they either didn't see or didn't like winning fan cheer award voted by online people we'll talk about it came out five years ago yeah we'll talk about it next week until then stay film positive thank you for listening the brandon peters show is a creative zombie studios production produced by brad shoemaker and brandon peters written and edited by brandon peters Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.